Hi, everyone. Welcome to our fourth quarter economic and market outlook. At Capital Stewards, we're all about helping professionals make smart investing and retirement decisions. We are fiduciaries first and foremost. That means we get paid by our clients for our expertise and guidance, not by selling products, expensive mutual funds, or high cost insurance, things like that. We sit on the same side of the table as our client. We guide them to make smart financial decisions. Most importantly, we're located right here in Huntsville. We work with families here every day. Our model is the best of simple modern experiences. We leverage technology, we don't run away from it, but we combine that with personal advice because we think it's valuable to have someone that you can sit down with across the table and have really frank and, and honest conversations about some of the biggest uh, decisions that lead you to a successful financial future. So that's what we're all about today. I'm gonna share our views on the market where things have been so far in 2022. Obviously it's been a challenging year and then more importantly, where investors should be looking to go as we balance out uh, the rest of the year here in the fourth quarter. For me, I'm personally still celebrating the Braves win clinching the NL East this week. It's the first week of October when we're recording this. And I'm not sure what I'm happier about, whether it's the Braves clinching the East and winning again or the watching the Mets lose. I think both make me equally happy. So, all right. A little housekeeping before we dive in. If you're listening to this on the podcast, be sure to check out the video version that's on our website. You can see the charts, the illustrations. I think all of that's helpful. If you're watching the video, you're in the right place for this one, but feel free to check out the podcast, The Six Figure Investor, and there'll be other topics there to help you make smart financial decisions. All right, so let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to the Six Figure Investor Podcast. Are you a professional who wants straightforward, trustworthy financial strategies that you can act on? Are you entering your highest income earning years and discovering that your personal finances are becoming too complex? We get it. You're a highly competent professional, but you don't have time to go deep on your personal finances the way you do with your day job. Hi, I'm Brian, and helping professionals make smart financial decisions is my passion. I run a financial advisory practice called The Capital Stewards and work with professionals like you who are trying to cut through the noise. It's time to stop Googling every question you have about money and dive into some real professional guidance. So let's get moving. First, I always want to start with that there are no secrets to investing. Everybody's looking for a fourth quarter outlook that's going to give you hot tips on the market and what to buy. What we're going to seek to do is something different, and that's to help you make smart, long-term financial decisions because there are no secrets. Successful investing is about applying wisdom and discipline over long periods of to achieve your goals. It's that simple, and we'll talk a little bit more as we go forward here about why that is. So for those of you that have seen these before, this will look familiar. We always start with just some long-term perspective on where we're really at. As always, the best investors make long-term investment decisions. So it's important to zoom out and understand where we are in the arc of history and markets and not get stuck in the day-to-day -day volatility. So if you look at the long-term returns, you'll see the S&P 500 over the last 25 years. That's the red line for those of you that can see the charts. has significantly outperformed gold. It's outperformed bonds and it's outperformed inflation, which is that blue line at the bottom of the chart. However, obviously it's been a really challenging year. So the S&P 500 now is pounding at close to 7.4%. And that was closer to 9% at the beginning of the year. So the decline this year certainly has had an impact on long-term returns. But again, if you have a really good long-term investment plan, I think that's still in the ballpark of what you should be expecting. So there's no reason to panic if you're a long-term investor. And I also like to look at this chart and just, again, to, to demonstrate the importance of long-term perspective, if you were an investor who bought at the top of the tech bubble or you bought at the top before the financial crisis happened, 
you're still a really happy investor today because even though there was short-term volatility and you bought right at the top of those before those crises happened, you've still made a significant return since then. The same thing is true if you bought right before the COVID pandemic happened. So it's really important to be invested in markets and to stay invested in markets over the long term. If we zoom in just slightly over the last decade, you'll still see that we've experienced a significant downturn this year, but markets are still performing well over the last decade. Stocks, again, are the best performing asset class. Real estate is on the page now. That's number two, and then followed by inflation. And bonds and, and gold have actually underperformed inflation. So I think it's an important note over the last decade. We saw a really historic rise in stock markets, and that you can really see this in the 10-year chart after the and so some of the volatility this year is sort of returning us back to what should be more and more normalized return environment. Stocks returning north of 20% a year is not normal. That's that's very abnormal. It's not that we don't want to have good years in investing, but that's not the kinds of returns that we're used to seeing and have seen historically. And so we're giving a little bit of that back. But if you're a long-term investor, over the last decade, the stock market has still returned over 11% a year. That's a really good result. And, and so your long-term investment goals, if they were well-planned, should still be intact. Um, and uh, you should still be on, on track to meet those if you're not sure that that's the case or if you've got concerns about where your plan is at or where your portfolio is at, then I'd recommend talking to a professional like us or someone else that you trust to build a solid long-term investment plan. So let's let's dive in now and talk a little bit about markets and, and what's driving the, the volatility and, and the negative returns we've had so far this year. So as we've been suggesting for over a year, interest rates were going to rise. They've risen all across the yield curve. If you can see the interest rate on two-year government bonds has risen from last December from 0.73%, so less than 1%, to 4.2%. That's a historic move in short-term interest rates. You've seen the same thing. 10-year yields have more than doubled from one5 percent to 3.83 percent and the same true on the long end of the curve for 30-year yields 1.9 percent to 3.79 percent and that has caused the price of many assets including stocks and bonds uh, to fall so the question is what's causing the the rise in rates well as many of you know this we've been talking about this for a long time as well inflation obviously is is the primary culprit there. Food and energy prices are certainly responsible for some of the move. However, if you look at the chart, you'll see there's a yellow line and a green line. Inflation that was 8.3% in August. And, and that is driven a lot by food and energy and prices increases in those areas that we've seen this year. But it's core CPI that's really going to be the story going forward. That's what measures inflation when we exclude food and energy. And core CPI tends to move slower and, and with more of a lag. So it's more difficult for the Federal Reserve or for anybody else to have policy that's going to change core CPI because it's much more tied to what's going on in the underlying economy to wages and, and things like that. We broke down CPI this week, and you can see that on the right-hand side of the page, and you'll see that energy was the biggest driver over the summer. It was over 2.9%, almost 3% on an annualized basis, I mean, contribution to a consumer price index. But now shelter is the biggest component of the of the rise in CPI year over year. And that includes both rent, high rents, rents are increasing across, across the country, and also homeowners equivalent rent or the, the sort of fence plug for um, what is happening to homeowners as house prices increase. You also see there a little bit of food inflation and then some issues still with supply chains. And I think what's important about the sort of the quote unquote supply chain issues that are still out there is those are not things that are gonna magically resolve themselves when everyone goes back to work. Everyone that was working before COVID was back at work and we're gonna talk 
talk about the labor market in a minute. So the remaining issues, energy inflation, we expect to come down into the into the fourth quarter as as gas prices have have fallen dramatically since the summer. We expect I don't know that the, the price will continue to fall for oil, but you may see gas prices come down a little bit at the pump as we head down in the fourth quarter. But the remaining parts of inflation are going to be pretty sticky. Um, and the reason for that is because we have a really tight labor market. Demand for workers is still really strong. If you look, we've been we've been sharing this chart since last August. You'll see on the chart the job openings line is the darker line, and then the available workers, uh, unemployed workers, is the gold line. And if you look back in history, there's almost always more available workers. So there's some unemployed people they're looking for jobs and can't find them, then there are job openings. Normally there's more available workers and fewer job openings. And then right before the pandemic, we saw those two things switch. And that's been exacerbated since the pandemic ended with all the stimulus that went into the economy. And so now there's over 10 million available jobs that are out there. And there's we've seen that come back a little bit, but there's still only just north of five, five and a half million available workers. And so there's a lot more jobs out there than there are workers. Now, you may have heard in the news recently, companies are starting to announce layoffs, starting to cut back expansion plans. That's what we expect to happen when the Fed raises interest rates. In August, U.S.-based employers announced 20,000 job cuts. That's 30% higher than last year. There were 15,000 job cuts announced in 2021, according to the Challenger survey. But employers also announced plans to hire 40, almost 42,000 workers. That's up you know, from July, it's down a little bit year over year. They were going to hire 94,000 in August 2021. So we see the labor market getting just a little bit weaker. But so far this year, employers have announced plans to hire 783,000 workers. That's an 18% increase over last year. Total non-farm payrolls for employment increased by 315,000 in, in August. So we still have a really robust labor market, and that's what's driving inflation. And I know that there's also, I think, this question out there about whether the nature of the jobs that are out there is the same as before the pandemic or people posting jobs and not filling them or leaving these perpetual jobs open. Indeed.com economists and others that survey the job openings that are out there don't see a significant change in the length of openings or the types of openings since before the pandemic. So I think it's safe to assume that the numbers that we see here and the gap between job openings and the available workers to fill those jobs is real and it represents really strong demand for workers. So what's the Fed going to do about rising inflation and, and having a shortage of workers to fill opening jobs? Well, the answer is they raise interest rates to try to cool off hiring and to cause companies to maybe pare back their current staffing, to scrap expansion plans, things like that. And they've raised interest rates significantly so far this year. We're, we started the year almost at zero at 25 basis points or 0.25%. And now interest rates are up over 3% and expected to go higher. And that will have the impact of slowing down the economy. We know that that's true. We've seen that happen historically. So that will work, but it takes a while to work. And we'll talk a little bit about more about that in a couple of minutes. But the, the question is, how high will the Fed have to go? And, and we've gone from zero to three. Is that high enough? Or are they going to have to do more? And the real answer, when we look back at history, if you look at, at this chart, you'll see uh, the green line is, is the consumer price index. And then the red line is the effective federal fund rate. And you'll see that in times of high inflation, historically, the Fed fund rate has had to go above the core inflation reading to drive 
inflation back down. So our view is that we expect the Fed to have to raise interest rates above the core inflation level to, to get inflation out of the economy. So going forward, market participants and the Fed actually sort of expect the same thing. On the left-hand side of this page, you can see the implied Fed rate increases as using futures in the market. And you can see that the market is expecting the Fed to essentially raise rates between now and February to four and a half percent. And what's notable there is the increase in rate expectations over the last three months. So since we had this conversation in July, the market was only expecting the Fed to raise rates just a little bit over three and a half percent. And now they've gone a whole percentage point above that. The Fed on their part also expects rates to go maybe even just a tick. You see at 2023, the Fed expects rates on average to be 4.6%. We actually think both of those numbers are understated a little bit in order to get that gap, which is significant between available workers and job openings back in sync. We think the Fed's going to have to raise rates above that core inflation rate. And we think that number is probably between four and a half and five and a half percent. So the market and the Fed still, I think, have room to go in order for us to really stamp out inflation over the long term. I think the next logical question then is, will that lead to a recession? And we know historically that moving rates higher will slow down the economy. I think the question is, will that actually cause a recession? Have we had a recession already this year? We've had two quarters of negative GDP growth, but we have really strong unemployment, it really doesn't feel like a recession. So whether we have a recession or not is, is a little bit more, I think, of an academic exercise. Um, what I think is really important, though, is to kind of have a longer term perspective than maybe what we've lived through the last couple of decades on what recessions really are. Most recessions are mild compared to the financial crisis and the COVID pandemic. If you look back over history, both the financial crisis and the COVID pandemic, we saw really significant changes in GDP. We saw really significant changes in unemployment. That's not typically what happens when the Fed causes a recession to slow down the economy. You see a little bit of negative GDP growth. You see a little bit higher unemployment rate. The economy catches up and it moves on. So just because we have a recession doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to experience something like we experienced in 2007, 2008, 2009, or during, during the COVID crisis. So let's move on and talk a little bit about markets now in light of all that's going on in the economy. So I wanted to start the market segment this time talking about valuation, especially forward-looking price-to-earnings ratios. And valuation is one of the most predictive indicators of long-term stock returns. As a refresher, the price-to-earnings ratio is one way to think about the value we receive when we buy a stock. The ratio is the price of the stock divided by its expected earnings or profits over the next 12 months. So if a company is expected to earn a dollar a share over the next 12 months and it's trading at $10, then its price to earnings ratio is 10, 10 divided by one. We'll talk about historical valuations in a minute and, and where the market sits relative to that. But before we move there, I want to show the relationship between valuation and future returns. If you look at the chart, you'll see the tight cluster of green dots around the middle of the page. Each of those dots represents the S&P 500 over a 10-year time period. The tight clustering means that the returns have a relatively high correlation with P.E. ratios. And so said more simply, P.E. ratios may be a good indicator of future returns over a long-term time period or over 10 years. You'll also notice that there's a smattering of gold dots all over the page. Those are one-year time periods. So while P.E., the price-earnings ratio, does a good job of explaining returns over the long-term, it does a pretty terrible job of explaining them over the short term. And so as I always talk about, if you have long-term investment goals, you can use data to make long-term investment decisions. It's really difficult to do that on a short-term basis. Currently, the price earnings ratio, forward price earnings ratio of the S&P 500 is 16.2. Historically, that implies a 7% return in stocks over the next 10 years.
Um, and and you can see when we look back over over the last few decades, you can see the historical average of the forward PE for the S&P 500 is 15.5. So 16.2 or slightly above historical averages, but but not too bad, really kind of in line with, with historical averages. And so as you would might expect, a 7% return sounds like average returns. If you have average valuations on a historical basis, then you'd expect to have average returns. What's been really challenging the past quarter in July, we had average value and then we had a 16% rise in the markets in August, and then we went back down to where we are today. So what's interesting over that period is that earnings, which you see on the left-hand side, have been flat. So analysts expect earnings maybe to go down a little bit going forward, but they've been flat really for the last couple of months. So if we have flat earnings and increased stock prices, that just means that the market was willing to pay more for the same thing in August than it was in July. And that doesn't make any sense given the, the economic backdrop of rising rates that we talked about earlier. So the next question is always, is this the bottom? And it's difficult to say, there's no bell that rings when we get to the bottom and says, hey, this is the bottom. And as we discussed, we can have a fairly good idea of long-term returns using valuation, but it's difficult to use fundamentals to predict short-term returns. And so we don't use a lot of psychology and technical data because I think it's more short-term in nature, but it does provide a perspective on how investors view markets. And so sentiment, which in this case is the spread between the people who think the market's going to go down versus the number of people who think the market's going to go up, it's at all-time lows. Everybody's very pessimistic. And as you might expect, that historically has been a good time to buy. So everyone's really pessimistic and rightfully so. Therefore, we should just buy utility and value stocks and grind it out. Well, it's important not to let popular misconceptions about recession investing mis mislead you. Earnings in the economy as they downshift sort of into a lower growth mode, growth has outperformed value in, in these time periods in recessions going back to the 1980s. And, the, and regardless of whether we actually have a recession or not, the same is true if the economy is just slowing down. Traditional value stocks, banks, energy, utilities, those kinds of things, they need the overall economy to grow for their businesses to grow. They're generally slow to innovate. They're not taking market share. They need the whole, the whole pie to grow in order for their businesses to work. On the other hand, growth companies, they're building new businesses. They're capturing more customers. They're capturing market share. And so that continues regardless of, of the underlying economic activity. And so those companies tend to fare better in recessions. And so it's like I said at the beginning, it's key to let history be your guide here and not conventional wisdom. And I would note growth has outperformed the value since July 1st of this year. Um, it's also important to think carefully about your portfolio during rising rate environments. A lot of portfolios still look something like the pie chart that's on the left-hand side of this page, and, and you see just stocks and bonds as sort of a classic 60-40 portfolio. However, a truly diversified portfolio, especially when rates are rising and likely higher for the long term, is more like the pie chart you see on the right-hand side of the page. There's a lot more asset classes in there. Large institutions have been investing this way for more than a decade. Investors should own assets that do better when inflation rates are higher. That includes things like commodities, real estate, infrastructure. You can see other examples there on the page. More diversification assets beyond just stocks and bonds is key to building a solid, well-diversified long-term portfolio. So if your portfolio is a couple of target date funds and stocks and bonds, it's time to move into the modern era and be able to, to have the returns that you need with less volatility. To emphasize the point, I pull 
couple of examples. We've been looking at these throughout the year because we've been talking about them since January. Commodities are up material this year, but I looked at infrastructure and credit, which may be less well-known examples. Infrastructure investments, so things like farmland or investing in toll roads or, or local water or energy infrastructure. Infrastructure investments are flat up slightly for 2022, which is kind of what you expect in inflationary environments. Stocks and bonds are, are obviously materially lower, and you see that on the, on the left-hand side of the page. Both of those have done well relative to other things in the market. And the same thing is true of privately held credit, which tends to have adjustable interest rates that, that go up as inflation and interest rates go up. So those assets have done really well year to date versus steep declines in core bonds and stocks. So diversification isn't just a nice euphemism. It's not just a pie chart. It helps drive a real risk-adjusted returns over time. Um, and since rates are up a little bit, let's talk a little bit about bonds. Fixed income is becoming more attractive now that rates have, have risen. You can see treasury bonds, corporate bonds, high-yield bonds are all yielding more than their averages over the last couple of decades. Treasuries, um, 4% versus 1.6% on, on average. The U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, which is kind of pulls all of this together in one broad-based index, is yielding 4.6% versus 2.5%, and the high-yield corporate debt, 9.5% versus 7% on average. So, so yields are relatively attractive. It's also worth noting that you should you should be sure to consider municipal bonds if you're a high-income earner. Muni bonds are issued by state and local governments, and if you're a high-income earner, and particularly if you're in a high-tax state, if you're buying those bonds in your state, you can write off the income on both your federal and your state tax return. So those are, are really attractive on an after-tax basis. And the tax equivalent yields for muni bonds are over 7% in the top tax bracket. So, so some pretty attractive uh, opportunities in the bond market as we, as we go forward. And then lastly, I wanted to wrap up this quarter's discussion talking about election year returns. Since it's top of mind as we kind of head into what I call the political silly season, it's important to remember that despite the commercials and what your friends say, core economic fundamentals drive market returns and not politics. Good policy that creates growth does help over the long term. Lower taxes, appropriate level of government spending on the right things, not too much, not too little, and, and investing in things like infrastructure and the military, things where the, only the government can invest there make a lot of sense, less regulation. All those kinds of things are good for the economy long term. There's no question about that. But what you can see on the chart is you know, political parties don't necessarily have a perfect history in, in any of those areas. You'll see that there's almost no difference in returns when you when you look at returns over the year after an election versus uh, the Democrat Party in blue and the Republican Party in, in red, you know, 12 and percent to 13 percent. So there's almost no difference there. You do see some weakness in election years versus non-election years. Again, I think when you go back and look at history, what you see is that when there's not something else going on in the economy, like the financial crisis or COVID or something like that, I think you see some of that even out over time. And so I think more importantly than what's going on in politics is the, the longer term business and and economic fundamentals that are out there. So what do you actually do in light of everything that we've talked about? So I think the first thing is implement a modern portfolio. You need to be more diversified beyond just stocks and bonds. Returns have been pretty negative this year. And so that means there's opportunities to harvest losses. If you are investing not inside of an IRA or 401k or some other tax deferred retirement account, you actually, you know, you don't want to 
to just hold on to the the losers thinking, well, it's only a paper loss. If I don't sell, then, then I'll be okay. What you want to do is sell the assets you have and buy things that are similar and harvest those losses so that you can write them off on your tax return. So, so absolutely harvest the loss, sell securities at losses in your portfolio, and then buy back similar, but not exactly the same stock so that you can, you can take advantage of the tax treatment and then rebalance. Calling market bottoms is really difficult. A lot of economists think that there's a 50% chance of a recession. Well, that's, you know, not all that helpful. You can just flip a coin. So trying to figure out if this is the market bottom or not, it's really challenging. But what I do think that you can do is rebalance back towards your target asset allocation, some things that are down this year, take some opportunities to, to buy in those areas so that when the market does turn around, you're well positioned to, to take advantage of those opportunities. We do all of these activities on behalf of our clients. And so if you're not sure how to proceed, you can schedule a call with us. We'd be happy to, to talk you through it. A lot of times people wonder, well, what happens if I click that schedule a call button or I reach out? Are they going to try to sell me something? How's that going to go? In an intro call, all we do is ask questions about you. We just want to get to know you. We want to understand what your goals are and what you're looking for and, and what you need help with. And if our services are a fit for what you need, then we'll schedule a follow-up call and we'll talk about what a relationship would look like. But an intro call, all we're going to do is ask questions. You can ask us questions. We'll answer your questions if, if they're quick and easy. We'll just tell you what we think what we think you should do in, in a few minutes on the phone. So, so don't hesitate to reach out and ask questions if you'd like some guidance on your investment plan. And I think that wraps us up for this month. So thanks for listening or for tuning in. And we will see you next time. The commentary provided is for general audiences and educational purposes only. It should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice for your specific situation. That's why you should talk to a professional. Hello. Past performance of market results is no assurance of future performance. All the information in the podcast has been obtained from sources we deem reliable as of the date of this recording, but it's not guaranteed.